I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture, this is Vent Documentaries. Young people from one London borough telling you the stories we care about. This is series one, where we're talking about identity. I'm Lily. I'm 16. This is my second last year in school and I've been very preoccupied lately with who I'm going to be when I leave. How do you have a functioning healthy relationship? What the fuck is a credit card? How do I have good productive conversations about massive topics like race and colonialism? I don't feel like school has set me up to be a real adult. This documentary, I'm going to talk to a bunch of adults about the school curriculum and what should be added or taken away to make someone like me feel more prepared for real life shit. Do you know anything about bikes? I'm learning this now. I'm 25, yeah. That girls aren't that scary. There is not one person of colour in the science curriculum. Have you had sex education at your school? I don't think so. It's an uncomfortable truth. Our, our country wasn't the good guy. And the ripple effects of that are massive. Uh, uh, um, it's so fucked, it's so confusing. <laughs> I made it. So I had to start somewhere. And one big thing I've never really had in school is lessons about actual practical stuff. So I went on a little field trip. This is uh, the London Bike Kitchen. We are a tiny, tiny little space. I come here to learn how to fix a bike, because I don't know how to fix a bike. This is uh, kind of what a typical bike workshop looks like, but most people don't get to see this. So the idea, the concept behind it is you get to come in, you get to be the mechanic for the day. Uh, We teach you how to do it. Before we do anything, do you know anything about bikes I've ridden a bike you've ridden a bike okay you know how to ride like, a bike okay cool the last time i rode a bike was like four years ago we're going to be coming back to my adventure at the london bike kitchen but fixing a bike is like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to real life stuff i haven't learned about in school for example so far i've had almost no sex at all which sucks because stuff to do with sex can be super awkward to talk about I have so many embarrassing stories. Even our parents and families can be really weird about it. I remember there was one day when I was, I want to say, 14. This is a guy I met recently called Obi. I was in my room and the next thing you know, my auntie burst in, psh, unannounced, yeah, opens the door, doors flying off, yeah. She throws a paper bag at me and then she says, uh-huh, when you need to use this, you use it. And I was like, huh, what the hell is this? Literally tipped the bag onto my bed. 
it was just bare condoms. <laughs> it was. It seemed like it was. <laughs> there was a, I had a never-ending fountain of condoms in that bag. Yeah, I thought it was a magic trick at first. I was so confused. Should I be offended or proud? I don't know how to feel about this. Now I'm just. Now I feel weird, Auntie. Like, huh? But she did that. Dipped, and I was like, oh my god. Obi is a comedian and presenter. For him, sex wasn't openly talked about in his family growing up, so he relied on school to get his sex ed. But school did not come through for him. Our sex ed in school was trash. Same. Absolute, just trash. Funny enough, like, Lucian around that time had <laughs> the highest teenage pregnancy rate in London, and my school was in the borough of Lewisham. So I don't know whether they were just being like, okay, let's just try and not talk about sex at all but it's it's evident black like 16 year olds are having sex yeah just trying to sweep it under the carpet was not the best way to deal with it we never had more of the relationship sides of sex i feel like this is a huge thing to leave off the curriculum sometimes just talking about sex or even talking at all to someone you like can be the most awkward part If you can't talk about intimate stuff, it can lead to all kinds of problems. Tell me about the first time you took Viagra. I'm trying to remember the first time. I remember why I decided to buy it. When Obi was younger, he used to party really hard. So one night, he was out with some friends, drinking and doing drugs. We got really fucked up. (laughs) And then we met up with some of our... Female friends afterwards went to a house, whatever. I was about to have sex with one of them, and then like I was so fucked up that my my dick decided just to go to sleep and just not listen to anything I was saying. At that moment, I just felt mad embarrassed, like proper embarrassed. But instead of talking about it like normal people, I'm just saying like. But now she's just going to fucking roast me in the group chat. She's going to tell her friends, oh, man, I'm just going to, oh, I love it. And I've been chatting so much, like, yeah, I'm such a big, like, whatever. <laughs> and then if she's going to tell her friends that, now I'm just going to be like, fam. So my own insecurities led me to buy Viagra in the first place. And when I look back at it, I didn't really need to take it. Even though Obi didn't need Viagra for any medical reason, he ended up taking it all the time. No one had ever told him that it was completely normal to sometimes not be able to get an erection. And he was so scared of being shamed for it that he took Viagra instead of being honest with his sexual partners. Obi ended up making a documentary for Vice about Viagra addiction in young men, which turns out is super common. This led me to ask some really intimate questions to myself and led me to be kind of okay with being vulnerable yeah because believe it or not quite a few people have Viagra stories I just found out (laughs) but they just don't talk about it and then we talk about times and then it's like oh you just feel less alone so now I'm wondering what would it look like if we all had way better sex ed at school my name is Johnny Condom my friends just call me John Johnny Condom It would look like being really comfortable in your body, really loving your body, not feeling like shame about your body and loving yourself. This is Anna from an organisation called Split Banana. 
they go into schools to run sex and relationships workshops with students. I think it would be not being afraid to come out, not feeling like you have to come out at all. Being able to be in situations, like sexual situations, feel really comfortable expressing what you want, what you don't want, and listening. Being okay with awkwardness. And this is Matilda, also from Split Banana. How great would that be if we were all just fine with being awkward? Have you had sex education at your school? I don't think so. We had the one day in year six. And this is the time when a girl's figure begins to develop. I miss that for a dentist appointment. Breasts begin to become rounder and fuller. In secondary, I learned about periods. Hips fill out. Contraception, but nothing about sex for GCSEs. And it is now that girls start to menstruate. Menstruation? So that's part of biology. Yeah. So that's yeah. always been compulsory because it's kind of the like clinical biological side of yeah. sex that you learn through biology. Apart from those biological bits of sex, actual relationship and sex education wasn't compulsory in schools until this year. So it's I missed gonna it. be <laughs> Yeah, you missed yeah. it. You're already you're already beyond. But as of September this year, schools are gonna have to provide sex and relationship education. So it looks like schools might finally be getting forced to do better sex education. But Anne and Matilda also said that the budget attached to this announcement is really small. So schools still might not have the resources to actually teach sex ed in a good way. I was thinking, though, it's not just money and the curriculum that stops schools from doing better sex ed. Some teachers are actually really good at what they do. But then most teachers are like, the kids are going to laugh. It's all going to uncomfortable. I'm just going to kind of skim over it and move on. Because they feel awkward too. That's the <laughs> yeah. thing, the teachers teaching it feel super awkward too because often they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to do sex ed, so yeah. you, the geography teacher, has to teach it. And they themselves have had no training, don't feel comfortable talking to their students about it because they have to talk to them about, like, erosion and mountains and stuff in the rest of the time. And most sex education still only talks about cis-straight relationships and doesn't even touch on anything beyond that. So, for example, the queer community, there was this thing called Section 28. Clause 28 will prevent local authorities from actively promoting homosexuality. Campaigners say it's an attack on basic human rights. So you literally couldn't talk. Yeah, you literally couldn't talk about being gay. And the ripple effects of that are massive because we've spoken to teachers still who don't feel comfortable being out and proud in schools because it's still quite a hostile place. It's so frustrating to me that most schools have been getting sex ed wrong for such a long time. Maybe if it was better, we could all feel way more chill about sex, way sooner. It's funny, I'm learning this now, I'm 25, yeah, that girls aren't that scary. Like, you can talk to them and then just be like, they will understand. I keep thinking that everyone's gonna, like, slate me on a group chat. Nine times out of ten, the girl will be understanding, or the, your partner will be understanding, and then go to sleep, wake up, try again in the morning. Have you heard the term righty tidy lefty loosey? Yes. Yes. We are back in the bike shop. We do this thing called the drop test. The bike we're working on has a flat tire. Jen's showing me how to pump it up to check if there's a puncture. This type of valve, you shove it on. Okay. And then you pump. Whoa. Yeah. If I push it down, Ooh. 
air comes out. Anyways, uh, I'm going to let you have a go. Oh, God, okay. Yeah, so you want to go counterclockwise. You need to unscrew the... Okay. Oh, right, mm-hmm. Italian left, did you see? I'm such a genius. Is that there it? There you go. Yeah, Round yeah, keep going, keep going. Did that do anything? I, I think it moved. Keep going. Can you go faster? I'm way too short for this. Let <laughs> me try this again, sorry. Just... So... Practical stuff and sex ed were two things I felt like school wasn't schooling me on properly. Another huge thing is money. None of my friends know the difference between a credit card and a debit card, and neither do I. I met this guy. Hello, Ryan. Hey. Introduce yourself. So, my name's Ryan. I'm 27. I'm an associate editor, predominantly writing about cultural stuff. So music, film, fashion, drugs, maybe some sex stuff, that kind of thing. Ryan knows a lot about a lot of things, but I wanted to talk to him about the stuff he doesn't know about. So you're here to talk about how you fucked up your taxes? Yep. How old were you? When did I realise that I was fucking up? Yeah. You mean? Two years into having done oh a bit of God. freelance work that I would have had to have paid tax on i pay tax already do you know what i mean i pay (laughs) my difficulty was because it was on the side of my actual job yeah and i pay tax for my comes out my pay slips on a normal salary job right you get your taxes taken out before you get your money yeah right so then if you're doing freelance how are you supposed to pay your tax how yeah how do you mean like what do you do what do you do ryan started talking about invoices um, every time you do an invoice, you're going to number your invoice 001, 002, 003. What's an invoice? What's an invoice? It's like a receipt that you give to someone for the work that you've done. I had all my invoices saved in a folder on my laptop. I spilled a drink on it over Christmas <laughs> and everything's been lost on it. So it's like four years worth of ta- tax stuff and invoices. But if you don't, lose all your invoices there's a website hmrc her majesty's revenue and customs really i thought it was a human resource (laughs) other people i knew were paying tax and they were on their freelance work yeah i think so and maybe they were earning some amount of money to me and i was like hmm something (laughs) seemed like right here like what's going on and looked into it and yeah lo and behold i had done like two years without paying without like registering or or doing anything and then he had to somehow figure out how to fix it and then i started to get on top of paying my taxes but even then he was massively set back because catching up on his taxes just led to even more money problems so i ended up just screwing over my whole finances in overdrafts and that kind of thing (laughs) Then the overdrafts were really stressing me out because look, I'm looking at my bank account and I'm like, I don't really know how much money I have at all. Like, yeah. it's kind of confusing because it's in like minus figures. I can't, yeah. I'm not trying to do maths when I'm like drunk, trying to figure out if That's I have enough so money confusing. to like do something or buy a drink or whatever. And I had three bank accounts that were overdrawn. So then I consolidate them all into one loan. And I didn't realise you have to pay loads <laughs> back like every single month. Every single month. Every single month. I was originally paying £266 back every month. It's all, it's really confusing. That, that sounds really confusing. It's really complicated. It's so fucked. It's so confusing. Uh, uh, um, it's like really confusing and I don't know why. I have to no do this when I'm older. It's really stressful. I feel so sorry for you. How do you think you would have handled money better 
if you'd been taught otherwise? If you're talking about school in general, I think it really needs to be instilled in people how to handle money. But I don't know if that's like having a class on money because that would be fucking boring. But just like a couple of lessons a year on the importance of money and like personal finances and all the, all these questions you're asking, like what is an invoice? How do you do this thing? Because you're a bit fucked if like, for me as well, my parents don't even understand how really, like my parents have no idea how this works either. That's scary. And I guess that's the difference as well. If you If you have a certain kind of background or education, maybe you'd be better equipped to deal with yeah. these kind of situations where there's not a level playing field and not everyone has the same knowledge and the same information. This is such a good point. School can level out the playing field by teaching all of us the stuff that some of our parents might not know. It's kind of the same thing for Obi. His family weren't comfortable talking to him about sex, and I think school should have filled that gap for him. So I decided to call a teacher. That's next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm in year 12, and when I started making this documentary, I was expecting to do my mocks in June. But it looks like now that's probably not going to happen. COVID-19 hit the UK, and every school was suddenly closed. We had barely any time to prepare before getting sent home for God knows how long. You know what, I feel um, really embarrassed because... On the last day when I was in form with my form show, I actually ended up crying. I was like, I don't want to go. I miss school. What have you missed about it, if you don't mind me asking? This is Harry. She's the teacher I wanted to speak to to ask more questions about school and the curriculum. It's not that you like lessons. You don't always like education either because it means doing compulsory things. And that sucks because like essays and tests. like, But going to school every day can be like an escape for a lot of people it could be like being at school lets you kind of bring out yourself whether it's with your friends or with your teachers and because I don't have that because the only thing that I'm being given right now is work I am struggling so much from what you're saying the work doesn't replicate being in a lesson yeah suddenly having just the work but none of the bants I can see what I get out of being at school, beyond just what teachers want me to learn. My favourite thing about teaching science, even though it's compulsory, is the fact that I tell the kids I can literally answer any question because it's (laughs) always based in science. Why do so many people like Taylor Swift? It's based in science. She uses this specific beat and a specific (laughs) tone that everyone feels like they can get involved with. And they're like, is that true? And I'm like, go search it up. So... What actually is, like, the curriculum made up of? And what is it? Experts come together in different subjects and say, actually, by the end of, so key stage three, so they look at it in a phase rather than a single year, that would be year seven, eight and nine, 
this is what we think they need to learn in our subject. And then that happens again in year 10 and 11. Okay, that makes sense. You're a science teacher, so you might take this personally. (laughs) But like, why is science compulsory? And why do I have to learn about diary journals from 200 years ago in English, graphs and trigonometry? Why is that compulsory? I suppose we get asked this all the time. (laughs) Some of it is about learning other parts. So whilst you're doing trigonometry, it's actually about problem solving. When you're facing a dilemma, you need to have some type of resilience to get through and you know the pain of going through tricks. Yeah. (sighs) Using critical thinking, which is using the knowledge you have to like unpick or solve something is what those kind of things teach you that's that's fair i know lots of students like oh my god science i've got to learn so much stuff i'm never going to use it i really don't like it and then they like they get turned off by it quite quickly not gonna lie that is me (laughs) (laughs) people think like to undo stuff you have to be super strong and actually yeah. you don't. You have to have the right leverage. Whoa. There's like stuff that I was never, or they tried to teach in school. It's like all theoretical. Yeah, and I'm just like, what is life. this? Yeah. I'm not going to use this in real life. And then I start working on bikes and I'm like, oh my God, this is physics. <laughs> brain over brawn? Brain, brain, brain. Brains over brawn, yeah. Work that. smarter, not harder. Yeah. <laughs> Harry wasn't totally positive about the curriculum though i definitely think that the curriculum is so eurocentric yeah there is not one person of color or even a female scientist in um, the science curriculum when you read things like that you have to question and you have to say like why did this piece get in front of me the curriculum is really eurocentric which basically means we mainly learn about stuff white people have done I also don't think we get taught how to have uncomfortable, real conversations about race. It's an uncomfortable truth. Our our country wasn't the good guy. That's Ross. My name's Ross Greer. I'm a Green member of the Scottish Parliament and I'm the youngest person to have been elected to the Scottish Parliament. I was 21 when I was elected in 2016. I heard of Ross when he got into massive Twitter beef last year. The... Conservative Party put a, a tweet about Winston Churchill that was celebrating him one of the anniversaries. It was the, the usual stuff about Britain's greatest ever prime minister won the war, etc., etc. And that really bothered mm. me. I, I think historical accuracy and context are really important. But in the UK, we've essentially built up a culture based on an entirely false version of history. And this is a major part of it. So I responded to that tweet that Winston Churchill was a white supremacist and a mass murderer. Now, Those are entirely verifiable. And I accept that the mass murderer point is more debatable. I think the the evidence is overwhelming, but it's more debatable. The white supremacist point, there's there's no debate at all. Winston Churchill used those phrases himself. He said whites were a superior race. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Winston Churchill, to justify what had happened to Africans, to to black Africans, uh, what had happened to Native Americans, what had happened to Aboriginal Australians, said that they essentially deserved it because the whites were a superior race and superior races had a right to do that. Ross's tweet calling out this image of Winston Churchill as only a good guy absolutely blew up. A substantial section of the media and of the wider population went nothing short of absolutely berserk. 
and were really, really deeply offended by what I'd said. So that culminated in my receiving a substantial number of death threats. Um, very, very intense episode. Uh, the Daily Mail sent journalists to stake out my parents' house. Um, so the whole, the whole thing was a really intensely unpleasant experience, but it did create a wider debate. Ross's tweet was shocking. Like, I was shocked by it. But as Ross says, it's not because what he said isn't true. It's because no one's taught about it at school. It goes against what we're taught to think about British history. I definitely did not get taught about Winston Churchill being a white supremacist or a mass murderer at all. Yeah, that is that is absolutely standard across the different curriculums uh, in, in the UK. We simply don't teach ourselves either through formal education or through a wider cultural education about these hard truths about British history. We take this really one-dimensional view of him, not just about winning the war, because many of the, the polling things that he's responsible for happened during the war, but we treat the Second World War as a white person's war. Mm -hmm. Two million people fought in the British Indian Army, but four million people died in the Bengal famine. Winston Churchill knew that famine was happening, refused to have food aid sent in, had food removed from the area, had boats destroyed so that we couldn't get food into the area, and said that basically the Indians deserved it because, in his words, they breed like rabbits and they have a beastly religion. It definitely made me think about how things are taught in school. It's supposed to be, the curriculum is unbiased, maybe your teachers are biased, but the curriculum is supposed to be unbiased. How do you think the way that history is taught now, where it's, like you said, like avoiding uncomfortable, uncomfortable topics, how do you think that way of teaching affects how students think? Yeah, there's a wider issue here about education that I think you could describe it as like the, the lack of critical thinking or, or lack of substantial critical thinking, but that sounds super vague and abstract, yeah. right? <laughs> we need to spend basically way more time teaching young people and encouraging young people to question everything and to critically examine everything and to actually look for evidence yeah. of the claims that are being presented to them. And we would have a much, much healthier society as a result. If we're talking about how we change our education system now it's different across the uk and, and the curriculums have different ethos and objectives and they're all structured differently but on the whole they're not nearly enough about your ability to to debate to question to certainly question uh, the status quo and, and assume thinking and assume knowledge yeah. and to actually thrash these issues out because not only does that allow us to have a much more accurate understanding of what has happened in the past but it makes it much easier for us to make collective positive change going forward what advice would you have for me to kind of navigate my way through this i mean if i if i was to give you advice um it is you know question absolutely everything you have you have a right to question everything society is better off when you question everything question everything okay cool hopefully that means i'm on the right track here school as an experience it's not set up to kind of like you graduate and you're just like an adult a better human being you're like you know like you've come out well-rounded you can like now do things things to do with like money like relationships identity stuff like that they give a very specific stereotypical example and they don't leave any room for you to like imagine yourself in there if you're any different it's like you know you're just like uh, I, I don't fit in i guess i'll guess i'll just kind of like learn it on my own yeah i 100 percent 
agree with what you're saying. Our job is to respond to the needs of young people. So when young people tell you stuff, we have to do what we can. And that's why that talking to us is important because we're actually not going to know if we don't have a good enough relationship for young people to tell us. You're doing great. Carry on. Really? Yeah, yeah. Faster than my adult students. I feel weak. If it was easy, it wouldn't be worth it. I saw you move this this way. Uh, It worked. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. Yay! Is that it? Yeah, it's in. It's in. It's not rubbing against anything. That's good. Moment of truth. Pump it up. Okay. Yeah. Grab the grab the pump. Thank you for listening to Vent Documentaries. I'm Lily. Vent Documentaries are produced by Jess Lawson and Ali Adlington, with help from Emilia Gill, Mawid Majid, and Kamaya Shea Cowell. Our music is from WMP Studios. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. Yay! I did it! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.